again, it's a delight to be here. I'm, I'm thrilled with uh, this church. I mean, just what God's doing in and through you all. And uh, known, as Jason said, Brad and Vicki for, I was trying to count up how many years I've known them. I think it's about 28 or so, maybe more than that. And uh, just a, a joy, the friendship that we have in Christ. And it's always wonderful to be here for a counseling conference and the training that you're doing, not just for your own people, but for people around the whole region who drive in for this. And, uh, and I've been teaching for a lot of years, and uh, I ne- it never gets tiring for me to, to teach uh, the truths of Christ and practical application. Uh, I remember when I was sitting there, I told the group on Friday night, I remember my first time sitting there as a pastor uh, through four years of Bible college and four years of seminary and out pastoring, and I had no clue how to help people. Uh, I was just trained on how to exposit the word. But as far as helping people, uh, I would say, you need to be like Jesus. And they would say, well, how? I don't know. Just, you know, be like him. And uh, need to stop the conflict. Okay, how? I don't know. Uh, that was my, and then I already refer, refer them out. And uh, so it was life-changing for me to hear the practical applied theology that is taught in the biblical counseling movement. Now, I was assigned this topic to speak on the heart of conflict, what's happening within how many of you were in the first service? I see a show of hands. Okay, a lot of you. How, how providential. Uh, the, the whole message in Acts 17 of what's going on there at Athens and the heart worship that was coming out into the physical displays of idolatry. And here we are talking about the heart of conflict, what's happening within. Uh, I don't know that I would consider myself an expert on conflict Uh, resolution causing some conflict I've done some of that but conflict resolution I mean I'm not trained certified with peacemakers and uh, some of the different organizations but I have dealt with conflict quite a bit Uh, I don't know that that makes me an expert but I'm just keep looking at the scriptures on how to explain and apply God's word I mean personally we have I mean when I was unsaved uh, we all had conflict I mean, we were hated and hated one another, as the scripture says. And, and so just personal, within. And as you come to faith in Christ, you struggle with the world, the flesh, and the devil, that war that rages on, so there's conflict within. And then interpersonal conflict. Um, had some of that with roommates in college. And uh, then I got married. And... Um, Boy, you get two people close together, and uh, when you're selfish, it comes out, and it, you, you, you deal with that in your marriages. Even those who love Jesus, you still have conflict. Hopefully a little less and less, but you still have conflict. Then family with children, uh, sometimes with parents, in-laws, outlaws. Church, within the church, you're going to have conflict, interpersonal conflict. I've been involved in trying to reconcile some church splits uh, that have happened not over doctrine, uh, rarely over doctrine. 
They're mostly all just personal preference issues that uh, selfishness and pride set in. And then in counseling, uh, there's usually conflict, vertically and horizontally, conflict with God, conflict with one another. So had a lot of share of, uh, my share at least, of lots of conflict. I'm thankful that the Lord is gracious and merciful and that there's hope and help through Christ. And so I want to... um, this issue, by the way, of resolving conflict, what I did is I started to say, well, you have to address this, and then you have to also address this, and this, and this. And that's where I kind of ended up here with, there are several different issues to address. And this is sort of the outline of your notes. Because um, you'd have to start with, where is a person at with Jesus? Are they a believer or unbeliever? Whether they can even understand the conflict and resolve it, Uh, You have to look at worship, the activity that everyone's engaged in, both unbeliever and believer. The heart, that's out of the heart flow the issues of life. So there's going to be what's happening within. And if you don't communicate, you won't resolve conflict. If you can't communicate, you you don't communicate, you're not going to resolve conflict. So you have to talk a little bit about communication. And the importance of that, both speaking and listening, and Brad mentioned that this morning too, we need to listen better, part of communication. And then conflict resolution, some of the key points in scripture on resolving that. So these are some of the, the key elements that I want to try to cover uh, today. Now, um, there in your notes... I put first God views his view on relationships, vertical and horizontal. And I put Matthew 22, 37 to 40. I mean, that's where Jesus summed up all of the law. So all of the law in the Old Testament was summed up into those two. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So that kind of sets the whole scene. That's what we're to do. And only you can, you can do that through Christ, and you can't do that perfectly in Christ, but you increase more and more as you grow in your faith. So that just sort of sets the whole scene there of um, dealing with conflict. And then I put this in because it depends on what the conflict's over. Uh, this is, uh, you don't have this in your notes. Uh, Dr. Moeller wrote an article, I think it was on his blog, but he wrote on um, evangelical uh, triage, uh, trying to help issues, resolve issues in the evangelicalism at, at large. He called it confessional evangelicalism, and he said there are three levels, and most of the issues we're going to be talking about today are on the third level. Uh, differences, opinions, non-essential issues, uh, matters of conscience. But the first level, you can't be a Christian and deny those major doctrines. I mean, you're talking about the Trinity, you're talking about who Jesus is, fully God, fully man, uh, the substitutionary atonement, major dogma. They are absolutely essential to be a Christian. I don't really get into a lot of conflicts or um, 
arbitration or even in counseling, uh, often on major doctrines of the faith. I dialogue with, about those with unsaved individuals, but in counseling, and usually we're not primarily dealing with those. The next level up, doctrine, convictions, things that are very important, this is where denominations within evangelicalism start surfacing up. This is where you get into the Presbyterian and the various Baptists and Presbyterian, I mean, they call them the split peas, just so many different Presbyterian groups and differences on maybe on baptism, on the mode of baptism, uh, differences um, on uh, the role of men and women. Uh, you can differ on that and still be a Christian. Right? You can differ on mode of baptism and still be a Christian. So you can see, well, they're, they're important. They're doctrines. And if in churches, if the leadership is not all on board on that second level, you're going to have trouble. You're just going to have trouble. So they obviously need to be Christian, dogma absolutes. But then on the second level on some of the key issues and doctrines of the, that particular church, they ought to be agreed. Not everyone who attends there may be in agreement, but the leadership needs to be. And then the area where the most trouble happens in churches and in interpersonal relationships is that top level. Differences, opinions, non-essential issues. And we're going to look at that uh, as we go on today. But I just want to introduce to you, it's a good way to be thinking through uh, the various uh, conflicts that occur. And if it's a conflict over whether you're saved or not, whether uh, Jesus is truly God, yeah, that, that would be a, the church councils had to deal with that, and that would be a matter of life and death. I mean, you give your life and not deny that Jesus is Christ. So the different levels, hopefully that uh, can be a little helpful there as we think through that. So we begin here on uh, who are we dealing with? When we talk about get to the heart of the conflict, well, who are you dealing with? Are they a believer, an unbeliever, or not sure? And the not sures, they could be an immature believer. Or it might be a Christianized pagan. They grow up in our homes this way uh, at times. They, per, they profess to be a believer, but they have, still have a heart of stone. And it, it uh, sometimes is a spiritual whiplash when your teenager finally says, you know what, I'm not a Christian. Or they go down a completely pagan path, and you say, it's not how they were taught. I taught them uh, all about God. I taught them about the gospel. We tried to model that. We tried this, that, and the other. Well, you can shepherd your child. You can shepherd a hard heart, but you cannot save your children. And if God has not graced them with salvation, uh, let's just turn to Titus chapter 3, and you can just see the heart of an unbeliever here. Uh, Ephesians 2 says same thing. But Titus 3.3, 3, 
It's just good to be reminded this is who an, unbel- an unbeliever's heart, character, this is what God says about them. Titus 3.3. 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. That would be the word, the current word today of addictions. They're slaves to various passions and pleasures. Passing our days in malice. They just want people to pay. Uh, it's a, I don't like people and I want them to hurt and pay. And I like it when they don't do well. I mean, that's a malice that just infiltrates unsaved people's I mean, that's just their heart. And envy. And then it says this, hated by others and hating one another. The word hate there means to be, have love less. There's no love. They are hated by others and they hate one another. Well, you're going to have conflict. You put two people like that together, you're going to have conflict. So it's just good to be reminded again, are we dealing with believers or unbelievers? And if it's a believer, uh, we're dealing with the, the gospel here. Now let me just uh, stop here. With the gospel, what ought to happen? If you'll go from Titus back to Ephesians... From uh, Titus back to Ephesians. And again, I, I'm probably speaking to the choir here. We're probably pretty familiar with how it's laid out, this epistle. But it's all about the gospel, about Christ, what God did for us in chapter 1, uh, how he saved us for his glory. In verses 6, 12, and 14, for his glorious grace, who we once were in chapter 2, but look what God did for us in chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together. So it's all about what God has done in saving us. And then he put us into the church, Uh, a bit of a mystery there in chapter 3. Now, in light of that, what ought to happen is uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. This is a logical outflow of what God did for us and who we were. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. And then he moves on uh, on the oneness. But that should just be a logical theme. Uh, When there is conflict, when I'm rising up, I mean, in my own heart, my pride and selfishness, obviously I'm not dwelling on the truths of Christ. And that's a given in the area of pride and selfishness. So it's a good reminder to us that the gospel of Christ, when we dwell on who Jesus is, who we were, what Jesus did for us, it ought to produce in us this humble attitude 
Absolutely, because I'm his, I'll follow him. And if someone's not moved by the truths of Christ in the gospel, they're probably spiritually flatlined. Maybe they are not even a believer. If that doesn't move someone, there's nothing more greater to move someone in their heart than the, the truths of Christ. So you have these diagrams, but this is talking about the, the heart. This is what is going on, number two. What is going on in the person's heart? Well, worship is. And we even heard that this morning in Acts 17. All the way from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about worship. There are worship tantrums. There's not oppositional defiant disorder that takes place in the checkout lane at Walmart. That is a worship disorder. But it's key of what a person thinks. These are the three key elements of the inner man, of the heart. What we think. And it's most important. This is where a lot of work needs to take place in helping people. To educate them. uh, To teach them the scriptures about God, man, sin, and the Savior. But cognition. Then you have affections. And our thinking stirs up our affections. So if you want uh, warm, godly, holy affections that are on, on fire for Jesus, then you've got to be thinking back up to the cognition a whole lot about Jesus and meditating on him. Five minutes a day and reading and studying the scripture, five minutes is not going to do much for your affections throughout the day. But all social media, computer, TV, all the rest, if that's what's filling our mind, then that will also move our affections towards those things. Do you follow that? Sometimes we're waiting around, boy, I just want to feel right. I want what's right before I'll do what's right. And we need to be in the word, thinking, praying, studying, meditating, And that moves our affections, and then that in turn helps our choices, our volition. And it's all because of God's grace that he saved us, and it's to move us to love God, as we looked at relationships there vertically, and love one another. So that's all worship of the heart. And again, you have that diagram. So who we once were, We live for our own advantage. That's every unbeliever. You may have uh, children this way, parents, a spouse, uh, roommates. And this is the way they live. We're born that way. We come out thinking, wanting, and choosing all about ourselves. It's all about me. And towards God, it's unbelief. That's why we're called an unbeliever. That's the old man. Now, when God converts us, saves us, now we have a different, we have a, a new spiritual north on our, our compass. It's Christ. And now we live for his advantage. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, that he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And then we grow in our faith. God has graced us with saving faith. You don't need more faith. Uh, That faith just needs to grow. Just like a little child needs to grow up. So growing faith. 
Now, I want you to look at Philippians. This is just sort of helps us here what's, what's going on in the area of uh, worship, especially for a believer. In Philippians chapter 2, when I'm dealing with people and it's a lot of conflict going on, we certainly don't have the mind of Christ. And I mean on the third tier. I don't mean on major doctrine but I'm talking about up to the third tier. We don't have the mind of Christ functionally. Positionally we do, but we do not, we're not exercising it. So let's take a look at this mind of Christ in Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Don't play the devil's advocate. Strive to be one-minded. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. There's your pride. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. You can just see this. This is all about Christ's mindset. Let each of you Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, if you underline in your Bible, just underline this, he emptied himself. Just, he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant or a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Remember one of my profs said, this Philippians 2, especially verses 5 through 11, you can see it uh, very clearly and, uh, and almost alliterated with three words that sum up, this is what Christ-like humility looks like. First, there's submission. He submitted to the Father. He emptied himself. He did what the Father wanted him to do. He didn't say anything that the Father didn't want him to say. This is in John, I believe, chapter 8. He didn't say anything the Father didn't want him to say. He didn't do anything that the Father didn't want him to do. He was perfectly submissive. So we're more like Christ when we're submissive to God-given authorities. Also, he was a slave, a servant. He took on the form of a slave or a servant. No rights. Right? No rights. This is so not like our culture. And he was sacrificial. He loved people. He loved those around him, even the lost. And he sacrificed his own life. He became obedient even to the point of death. Death on a cross. Those three words... Tell us that's the mind of Christ. That is, you're saying, Lord, I want to be more like you. 
center in on those three. Where in your life, and if you're counseling people in conflict who are professing Christians, maybe we ought to just center in on Christ. He's our model. He's norm. He's the plumb line. How to be, am I, is there any authority in my life I'm not being submissive to? In all, in all matters except sin. And am I being a slave, a servant? How I can serve everyone around me. Everyone around me I need to think more highly of than myself. Outdo one another in honoring others above yourself. In Romans chapter 12. Outdo one another by, they're, they're more important than you. And then sacrifice. That will be inconvenient. Sacrifice and the lust of comfort, ease, and pleasure don't go together. Have you noticed that? It's probably why you get angry uh, at interruptions and angry at a spouse or a roommate or kids or phone calls or because if, if you lust for comfort, ease, and pleasure and convenience, that is the opposite of sacrifice, of loving, sacrificial care. So these would be the areas to work on. You know, in our own lives, that we would, this would be the mind of Christ. Now, interesting that the Lord gave this to Paul to write, right? It's inspired by the Spirit. Was there any conflict going on in Philippi? Uh, chapter 4, just turn the page. There's two ladies that weren't getting along. You see them in chapter 4? Verse 2. How would you like to live at that era and your name be Yodia or Syntyche? Uh, In in the word of God for eternity. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Oh, we've got conflict. I mean, it's mentioned. It's went all the way back to Paul. Here's two ladies that used to serve with you in in various ministry um, responsibilities. And here they are. They can't get along and they're in the same church. And so verse 3, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Yeah, so we've got examples right there. And I can imagine Yodi and Syntyche sitting there that Sunday morning when this letter was first read. And it it didn't take three years to get through it. I'm not against expository preaching. I'm just saying there was a a reading of that letter from Paul. And I can imagine them saying, oh, yeah, the Lord, he humbled himself. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, all of a sudden your name's mentioned that you can't get along. And everyone's looking at you, but you don't want to look at them. But what would help the ladies work out their issues is Philippians chapter 2. What would help them is meditate on Christ. Ladies, you're, you're, it's all into yourself. You're, you're not submissive. You're not a servant anymore. You're, it's more about you. And there's not the sacrificial work going on anymore. So work at that. That's Christ. That's the mindset of Christ. It's just a good reminder, again, of the Christ-like love and humility. Now, where is all of this activity occurring? And, you know, it's in our heart. It's worship. And 
A lot of you, probably most of you, are familiar with a diagram similar to this uh, called the Three Tree Diagram. Uh, Dr. David Paulson used it, uh, uses it to try to organize information. You don't have this, um, but you can get it. I mean, I, I think in the notes from this weekend. But it's a... Uh, Tim Lane and Paul Tripp wrote a book, and, and they worked through that as well, called How People Change. But it, it's one way to look at someone's life, and when there's conflict, in, just internally with people, just getting the information, asking questions, a lot of questions. Listening, getting to know them well, and you can see what's the behavior, what are the things I want, what are the things I think. And then where the, are they at with Christ? Because they're going to have to move towards Christ, whether unbeliever or believer. And then working through, renewing, repenting, finding comfort if they're suffering in their worship of the Lord. And then moving over to the left hand, I mean right hand, I guess. Well, yeah, left to you. And, and being more fruitful and growing in their faith. It's a, a way of asking questions, gathering information, and what's going on in this person's life and how they need to be moving towards Christ and then um, with the divine resources of the Spirit, the Word of God, and the church, how to really start growing in their faith and producing good fruit. So those are, um, it's just heart worship, and I put there some excellent uh, resources. And uh, this is a church there's no excuse to not understand the heart and heart worship uh, with Brad's book and all of the counseling, the training. and the. Um, so that's just um, a good reminder. It's in the heart is where all this is coming from. I'm going to come, come to that in a minute again. Uh, but what I'm wanting and thinking is, is where you need to go with people. So Yodi and Syntyche, if I was sitting down, if I would live back then in that first century and I was sitting down on a pastoral team, and here's Yodi and Sintiki together. Okay, we're going to have to help you. We, we first gather a lot of information. What's going on? When did it start? Uh, what did she say? What did you say? And, I mean, just gather all the information. But what you're listening for and asking questions is what are you both wanting? What are you both thinking? Because there's nothing deeper than that. In the inner man, in the heart, there's nothing deeper than that. There's no subconscious. That's a Freudian concept. The the Lord talks about the heart, and at the very core of the heart, the word of God is a two-edged sword, and it goes right down and divides between thoughts and intentions of the heart. What you want and what you think is the deepest part of you. And that's where we're at with Yodi and Syndicate. We'll be asking those questions and then going back to the person and work of Christ. And then the grace. Wherever they've sinned, they need to ask for forgiveness from God and each other. And maybe even publicly before the church. That would be an issue with the whole church knew about this. Well, they do now. <laughs> if they didn't before, they do now. It was just read publicly. And just being able to humble themselves and work through that for the glory of, of Christ. Now, we come to another area of communication. All right, communication. It's number four uh, in your notes. Big number four. There's not a lot of fill in the blank here. I, it was too much to try to cover in 
work through all of those points. So it's more for your help to read through, work through your own life or any kind of a specific conflict. And there's no template, one size fits all, right? One size always fits all in every conflict. Be careful of that. I can't, um, if you're here today and there's a conflict that you're having with someone in a Q&A time, you say, well, what do you think we ought to do? Well, I don't know. I mean, I would, you'd have to gather a lot of information, what's uh, the different people wanting and thinking, what's gone on there. Uh, but the principles are still the same. The principles here, you work through each situation, but no one size fits all. When we deal with communication, and I put there a couple of definitions from Dr. Wayne Mack, who's, uh, I don't know if he's in the U.S. yet or not, but he's heading over here to, from South Africa uh, to speak at the ACBC uh, annual meeting in Indianapolis the first week of October. But he's written quite a bit on communication, and so I put in the definition from him and... Um, I, I added a little bit, expounded upon it, both speaking and listening. But it's good to, a good reminder, if you want to jot it down next to it or not, you won't be able to resolve conflicts if you don't communicate. It, it's just impossible. It's just, there go, you hear people. I haven't spoken to them in 16 years. Yeah, we've had a, we had a fight, and it's been three months, and they're married, and they live together in the same house. We, haven't, we give each other the cold treatment. We don't talk. Well, you're not going to resolve conflict if you don't talk. Interesting, I found this guy in Germany, a 73-year-old man who used an air raid siren to stun his wife into submission. It was confiscated by the German police. <laughs> the man said, my wife never lets me get a word in edgewise. So I crank up the siren and let it rip for a few minutes. It works every time. <laughs> the police spokesman said neighbors had complained at the noise because it was a 220-volt rooftop device. In air raid sirens, you know, in the bombings in Germany. Can you imagine that? Uh, The wife said that she sometimes had to yell to get his attention. My husband is a stubborn mule, so I have to get loud. Well, that's, you know, there's better ways to communicate and work through issues than that. But communication... And I thought it was interesting this morning when Brad uh, mentioned, uh, when Paul quoted a poet, um, just knowing the culture, knowing some of the things that are going on around Athens that they could relate to. Uh, In the area of communication, and this has been published many times, it's not inspired, the next diagram. It's not inspired. Uh, It was a professor at UCLA He wrote a book, and this has been several decades ago, studying students and how they communicate. And it's called The Communication Pie. And words and their meaning, words and their meaning, he said, didn't really add up to a lot. 7% was his stat. Now, I've... Well, I'll tell you a minute. 
tone of voice, you can see it's uh, almost five times just words and their meaning. The tone. And then you have the nonverbal. All of the looks, the posture, all of the nonverbals, 55% of communication. Now remember, conflict, some of it can be heightened by some really poor communication. And I, sometimes people are communicating. Uh, I mean, they're not talking, but they're definitely communicating that they don't like you, they hate you, you know, by some of this stuff. But the words, when I, I remember... Uh, having conflict with my wife early on in our marriage, and I thought it was her upbringing because she comes from a very abused, um, conflict-ridden home growing up, and I didn't. And I'd come home, and she'd say, Honey, could you help me do this, that, and the other? And I went, Oh, oh okay. And she would say, uh, Never mind, I'll do it myself. And I went, what? I mean, look up the word okay. Webster's Dictionary. (laughs) Page 257, up at the top right hand, okay means yes. I just said yes. How did she get no out of that? Oh, it must have been her upbringing. (laughs) And this went on several times. I was going, oh, honey, I mean, you... Is this what life's going to be like? I mean, with all your family background, you're just going to bring it all into our uh, relationship. And I was thinking it's all her because I said, okay. I put the the emphasis on my word, okay, as if it was 99.9% of communication. But all the rest, 93%, if we use those stats there, 93% said, there's no way I want to help you. Because in my heart, I was thinking something and wanting something when I came home. And it wasn't, I'm coming home to serve. That wasn't on my mind. It was to be served. Now, all you guys can't relate to this. But I, I came home and I was thinking, I need a break. I need, a, I need a, 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 some comfort, some ease. I've been working hard all day. Now, here's some thoughts I was thinking, but I didn't share them. I've been working harder than you. Uh, this is your domain. Why would you need my help? You, uh, and you, uh, See, you learn not to say those things. <laughs> But I was thinking them. And I was lusting for comfort, ease, convenient. So keep away from me. Keep the kids away from me. Keep any uh, questions so I can have comfort, ease, relaxation, and convenience. You see that? It's like the enemy almost of sacrificial love. You can see I did not have at the time coming home, and I'm not sure through the day I had all that much more of submission I'm a slave a servant and it's sacrifice the mind of Christ and then I tried to fake it I tried to still have my lust of comfort ease and convenience and and act more spiritual because finally we talk oh yeah I should be better servant 
I should be more like Jesus. Okay. So I would come home and say, honey, you don't need anything. Uh, I'm here, but uh, you don't need me to do anything, do you? <laughs> Sounds like a servant. Now I was setting her up, trying to manipulate her to say, no, I don't need anything. But communication is both speaking and listening. And there in your notes, Ephesians chapter 4 And most of you have been probably through the counseling training. And so you're familiar with some of these principles in light of who we are in Christ, our union with Christ. And this is on uh, page five of your notes. The, The various principles there, I mean, be honest. And it's talking about the family of God there. Don't lie to one another because we're members of one another. The only way you, you earn trust is to be honest with each other and be responsible. So be honest. Always speak the truth. Think through carefully before you answer. Sometimes my wife may ask me a question, what are you thinking about? And if I just tell her right there what I'm thinking about, it could cause some conflict. And there are times when I say, you know what, let me just process. Let me just, I'm, I'm bouncing all over in my mind. Can I just... Give me just a second. Let me just process this. And then I'll tell you. But sometimes I'm uh, all over the place in my mind. So, but be honest. Don't lie. Number two, when provoked, don't sin. And if you do sin, keep current. Right? The day of, as one theologian said, the day of transgression is the day of reconciliation. The day of transgression is the day of reconciliation. Keep current. Don't let time keep going. Time doesn't remove sin. Confession and repentance is what removes sin. So principle two. Uh, It is warfare uh, because Satan shows up right there. Uh, Don't give the opportunity for the devil, is verse 27. So when there's bad communication... Satan's right there. When there's anger, there's sin, he's looking for more problems. That's why I said, uh, well, many of you probably weren't here uh, yesterday. That's why I said it's probably not good to try to resolve conflict late at night. Late at night may be the best thing to do is say, you know what? I know there's an issue, and we need to resolve it. You say, well, don't let the sun. It's already went down. <laughs> Let's... Let's plan a time to talk about this tomorrow when we are at our best because if we keep going and we're tired, when you're sick or tired or both, you're going to, the likeliness of sinning is on steroids. What was just a little thing, you looked at me wrong, you snapped at me, you know, some of those words we use, can turn into, I don't know if this marriage is going to make it. What? <laughs> what just happened there? How do we how do we go from which side the roll you know the toilet paper was put or uh, to divorce? I mean, what? It's just it's better to just communicate. Listen, we want to love God. We want to love each other. Give us some time to think through what each of us our own hearts. But let's come together. Let's plan a time and talk about it tomorrow. Better that than more sin. So communication, the principle number two. Uh, Number three, 
from Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. Don't tear down, but build up in Christ. Right? Don't tear each other down, but build one another up in Christ. It's all about Christ. You can't take these principles out of the gospel. They're meant to be just saturated, motivated uh, by the, uh, the truths of Christ. You don't go teach these at a business place. They're all, you can't even understand them or do them apart from Christ. So here the Holy Spirit wants to help build up. Don't grieve him. Then principle four. Respond like Jesus, not in the flesh. In the flesh will be anger, wrath, bitterness, clamor, loud yelling, and malice. But instead, respond like Jesus. Depend on the Spirit. Help him. Uh, He will help you uh, to speak things that are kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another. But the Lord has graced us to be able to change in this process. So that's the, the area of communication. And if we don't sit and talk and work through things, they're not, you don't resolve conflict if you don't communicate. Now, let's see here. I'm going to give you a little, I've used this before, but it's just a good little snippet of some conflict between two professing Christians, longtime members at one of the churches where I was at. I just changed their name. But here's uh, some conflict. They came in. They, um, I mean, they had some... One, the guy had a major role in uh, oversight in our church. But this time they came, and they're not real happy with each other. So they, sit, they were sitting in front of me, and Joe, uh, they come, and they said, we, we have an inability to resolve a real conflict going on in our life. And I said, well, what is it? And Joe begins by saying, God is leading us to move to another state for a job change, but Susan is unwilling to follow me. Now, I know that Ephesians 5 says I'm the head and Susan is supposed to submit to me, right? Well, he can't answer that one. I mean, if I say yes, he said, well, we don't need any counseling. Say, I just told you, Susan, let's go. So, you know, I just say, go on. Susan interrupted. Joe doesn't have to move. Now, he was losing his job. That was, that was true. He was uh, laid off from a, a company. He just wants a job change that's close to his relatives, but we're settled here in California. The kids don't want to go anywhere. They have their friends, and I have my church friends. He makes so many foolish decisions without my input and then expects me to reap the tragic consequences. Now, there's a lot of data coming out there. He makes so many foolish decisions without my input. Now, that, how long has that been going on? And see, that could, that, that could be years and years. Rarely ever is there a blowout. There, it's always a slow leak. There's things that have been going on for some time. You just look, one day you just look at your, your tire, your, your car, and it's flat. Well, maybe it's been losing air over a long time. And that's often the way it is in relationships. And here it comes out. This has been going on for some time. She continues, I know that Ephesians 5 says that he is supposed to love me like Christ loves the church, right? Somewhere I believe it says that he is supposed to live with me in an understanding way. Well, I've had it. Enough is enough. Now, you hear that submission? Remember, submission is a part of, well, she's not submitting. And he's not loving. He's not sacrificially loving her. You see the submission, a servant, 
and sacrificial love and care. You see how those three, they wouldn't be in, in there talking about this. Well, Joe replies, this is what he said, I'm leaving. And if she doesn't follow me, she doesn't come with me, her God-ordained head, that's what he said, then I guess you all at the church will just have to church discipline her like Matthew 18 says to do. Wow. Uh, There's a lot going on there. But troubleshooting is, okay, let's, let's find out all that's been going on here. This didn't happen overnight. What's all been going on? And I wouldn't want to go to Ephesians 5 to try to help them because apparently they know Ephesians 5, they're just not doing it. (laughs) And you just want to start troubleshooting. Let's go back, um, back a little ways. And how about Ephesians 4? How's that going? Right? And all those principles of communication. Well, that's not going very well either. Well, let's just keep going back. Let's talk about Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. How's the humility, gentleness? Well, that's not there either. Well, let's just keep going. And you start moving back. And before long, you're back at their testimonies. In Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, where are you at? It's like your spiritual compass needs to be recalibrated. Where's God's glory in this? And where's the sacrificial love and, again, that mindset of Christ? What was interesting about them, she did give an orthodox testimony, and he got really angry at me for even asking about his testimony, and he got up and walked out. And you know, he never came back. Uh, He left his wife and kids, and uh, he blamed it on the end of 1999 that there was going to be a major problem in the world, the Y2K scare. And he left his family, and he never came back. And so we ended up with Matthew 18, calling him to repentance. We had to send letters and he never responded, that, that I know of. I mean, he still may be alive and has responded. I've not heard about that yet. But it's just getting the information. Let's go to the scripture. Let's start walking through uh, definitions, but going backward and troubleshooting. Now, here are a couple of responses. Well, I think you have uh, there in your notes... Um, A conflict is literally to strike or fight against, right? You see that on page six? I mean, that's just the, uh, it feels like you're fighting people. That's why they call it a fight, a battle. Now, Ken Sandy uh, talks about uh, it doesn't always have to be sin involved. And what I put was usually there is. I don't know two people who are in a conflict that it doesn't, sin's not part of it at some point here. But some of the key scriptures that talk all about conflict and having the right heart and attitude, Proverbs 6, there are six things I hate, the Lord says, seven are an abomination. And the very last one, well, the first one is a proud look, but the very last one is someone who causes division among the brethren. A divisive individual is not someone to coddle, it's someone to warn a few times and then put them out of your church divisive people so what does God think about conflict well several things he thinks about conflict it's grievous among Christians it's grievous 
In Matthew 5, 21 and 22, we're called to be peacemakers. He wants his children to have no part of it. Work through issues. Maintain that unity. Guard your hearts there in Colossians chapter 3. He wants his children in Romans 12, 18 to pursue peace as much as possible. It depends on you. Live at peace with all men. Always be seeking peace. Now, don't, don't compromise truth, especially the dogma, uh, but work at resolving issues. He wants his children to avoid needless, needlessly offending someone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul says, boy, I'm trying to do all things to all people that I might win people to Christ, and I'm, I'm trying to be at peace. And then pray for that. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So it's very important. The Lord is after peace. Now, where do the, these, these conflicts really arise from? James 1 says we're all tempted when we're drawn away by our own lusts in James 1. And then in James 4, where do wars and flights come from? So let's just look at that. And again, a lot of you know this passage very well. It's good to just take a look at it again. That's the question of the day. Chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? There it is. It goes back to James 1. Your your lusts uh, are in an idolatrous fashion. And Brad talked about that this morning. You know... To love your family is fine. To worship your family is idolatry. Right? To like to have sleep at night is fine. To worship sleep is idolatry. So nothing ought to perk up alongside of the Lord or above him in the area of worship. But here it is. You desire, and so you do not have. So you murder. And that's what anger is. Anger is murder. The Lord talked about that in Matthew 5. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So it looks something like this if we were to use a picture. Uh, my encamp lust, her encamp lusts, uh, and it's all about our pride and selfishness at the our heart. And this is what's going on inside. I want, I demand, I need, I expect, I'm entitled to. Those are words that are very common. And boy, when that's there, what about my needs and my rights? You have war. Uh, You're going to have strife when you get two sinners together, even believing sinners together. She's pretty buff there. If you just wonder what in the world, uh, yeah, she works out. Uh, and God's opposed to the proud. This is not going to go anywhere. You need grace to change. God gives grace to the humble. You need grace to change. And this, these diagrams are in your notes. I think at the very last page, something like it. And remember, the solution for believers. The mind of Christ again, submissive, a servant, sacrifice. And what would that look like? If I have desires and she has desires, in humility, 
We communicate. What would you like? She'd ask, what would you like? How can I serve you? How can I serve you? Right? It's humility. It's submissive. It's sacrificial. It's serving. And then you give your desires to the Lord because it may be that neither one of you get your desires met because the Lord providentially might rearrange or you know, change plans. And God gives grace to the humble to work through things. And if that attitude isn't right, you're going to be spinning your wheels trying to help people with conflict. If we don't get at the heart, and especially the attitude here of humility, and where do we get that humility? By dwelling on Christ and the truths of the gospel. That's where we get that humility. The Spirit of God just, man, I deserve nothing but help. Anything above hell is a blessing. I should be the most thankful person on the face of the earth. And so you have uh, going on there, that's the source. And letter D of number five. That's where it comes from. Now I put here, and I'm going to go quickly so we have some time for questions. um, What kinds of conflicts at that top tier level that are very common? among believers and in churches and in families. There are, and I, I'm putting together, I, from what I'm reading and studying, five different areas of conflicts. Sometimes there's just differences. We have differences. Just how we've been raised, where in the country or the world you've grown up, differences in education, uh, differences, male and female differences. I mean, just differences. And you know, sometimes those can cause conflict. You, you, maybe you graduated from one particular university and you see another car uh, from, with a decal on it from a different rival university and all of a sudden you, you're angry at the guy. You go, what? He didn't do anything. Oh, he had a decal. And you know, with rivals uh, from Louisville and Kentucky, you know, you got uh, blue and red. Sometimes it's just differences. Sometimes it's just awkwardness, strangeness with people. We're all strange to one degree or another. Ask your spouse if you're married, if you doubt that. We all have differences. And you know what Colossians 3.13, the Spirit of God says, bear up with one another. Put up with one another on the differences. Get over it. Don't let it become an issue. They're bearing up with you. You bear up with them. And that's on non-sin issues, right? I mean, this is just differences, awkwardness, strangeness. Then you have preference issues. This is uh, often where most of the church splits happen. Is I want, and if I don't get, I'll start my own church. But preference issues. And in Philippians 2, I read this earlier, (laughs) prefer the other. Outdo one another in honor. Prefer them. That should never be an issue in conflict. Preferences. And the best thing is don't have many. Don't have many. When I meet people, oh, no, I, I prefer this, prefer this, and they're letting you know all their preferences. Oh, that's going to be a tough person to live with. But you say, I, I don't, I can get along, whatever. I remember my wife, she's a really good cook. To cook, I'll eat whatever you, you put there. I mean, I'm, I lived a few years on my own, so... Anything you put there would be great. (laughs) Preference issues. Then you have conscience issues. 
And for conscience issues, each believes God wants, that this is right before God, and it differs. I think it's right to do this, and the other person says, no, I think it's right to do that. And that, and my conscience, I think this. All right, and then we need to study scripture. But don't violate your conscience. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Then there are wisdom issues. It's not a sin issue, not necessarily a conscience issue, it's just wisdom. It's probably best not to buy that kind of a car, that particular model and make, and that year uh, was fraught with problems. If you can just do the study and consumers report, then the person buys it anyway. They have the money, they buy it anyway. It's just a wisdom issue. Maybe the mechanic was sober that day, and, and actually, or the person who made it, and it, it works well. But wisdom, you grow in wisdom. Then you have sin issues, offenses. And that, you confess, repent, and grow in your faith. That's what you do with those. So five different areas. And sometimes it starts with a preference. It's, the issue at the beginning was just a preference. And then it turned into a sin issue. Right? And so some of it can be scrambled eggs there, various things, and you try to pull them apart uh, to work through them. In calibrating your conscience, do you know how many issues can become a conflict? Matters of conscience issues in that third tier? Look at some of these. People have problems, you know, either participating in martial arts or watching it, or how you treat Sunday, or listening to any secular music, unless it's country, western. (laughs) Dressing modestly, what does that mean? Fair trade coffee. It's amazing. People can get just sinfully angry about whether it's fair trade. Global warming, watching TV at all, even owning a TV. And movies or playing video games or reading Harry Potter or wearing makeup or following a particular schedule like in Growing Kids, God's Way. Homeopathic versus going to your doctor and getting antibiotics. Public, private, and homeschool, which, which one? I mean, this can become church splits have happened over schooling issues. I know of a church right out there in California. They split over the homeschool issue. And there's some movements that that's what well, you have to be. Everyone in there has to be homeschooled, or you, you're not really welcome at our church. You go, whoa. Uh, I mean, this, some of these things can become conflicts, major conflicts. Eating fast food, unless it's Chick-fil-A. Can't eat that on Sunday anyway, so. Uh, There's conflict over churches, whether they have one service or multiple services or multiple sites. There's people who feel, I mean, they're they're ready to leave a church over that. I mean, these are... Uh, and they go, I believe God uh, you know, says this. Well, let's study God's word on these issues. I'm not done yet. There's more. <laughs> Christian hip-hop. Any kind of body piercing or tattoos. Smoking cigars. Drinking alcohol in moderation. Going into debt. Dating versus courtship. Having children and when or how many to have. How about family devotions? If you have them, when you have them, how you have them. 
being overweight, and what does that look like? Bio, having biological children, adopted children, foster children, or all of the above. Topical preaching versus expositional. I mean, there's some people who feel pretty strong about this one. They'll, they'll actually call a church. What kind of preaching? If they don't hear the word expositional, they're on to the uh, next phone call. You go, well, uh, or per, per, uh, perpetuating the Santa Claus myth. We could go on. There's more. But this is the kind of issues. Uh, and on conscience issues, you want to study God's word. A very good book, by the way, on conscience by David uh, Andrew Nacelli and J.D. Crowley on conscience. It just came out this past year. Very helpful. That list I just gave you, most of them came from in here. Very helpful. You know Martin Lloyd-Jones? A lot of you say, well, I know that name. Really godly man. He had some preference issues. Listen to what he said early in his ministry. He matured in his faith, but listen to what he said early on in his ministry. I cannot possibly understand a man who wears silk stockings or even gaudily colored socks, rings, wristwatches, shoes instead of boots, or carries a cane in his hand. He says the modern method of installing a bath in each house is not only a tragedy, but it, but it has been a real curse to humanity. If I had to spend a lifetime with a companion who had one bath a day or with one who had one bath a year, I, should un- unest- uh, his- um, I would choose the latter because a man's soul is more important than his skin. He'd hang out with a guy one bath a year rather than one a day. When I enter a house and find that they have a wireless apparatus, oh my, <laughs> I know at once there is something wrong. Your five-valve sets, you know, radio may do wonders. They may enable you to hear the voice of America, but believe me, they will never transmit the only voice that is worth listening to. <laughs> so you see that? I'm preferences. But that was early on in his ministry. I think he was 24 years old at the time. But God's word, and then you have, let's say, Rick. His conscience isn't squared up with Scripture. He overlaps Scripture, a lot of things that Scripture says. But then he, he, he goes beyond Scripture with some of his own preferences that have become laws. And then he's married to Karen. Look at her conscience. That's really overactive. She's got some of God's word. She overlaps with Rick on some things they agree. But look at how much she disagrees, not only with Rick, but with God's word. Now, where you want to help them is Rick, his conscience would be considered more strong because it's closer to God's word. A weak conscience is more laws you add on top of Scripture. That's why to help our conscience issues, we must recalibrate, re-educate with Scripture. So there would be Rick getting, his conscience is getting stronger. And here's Karen. Boy, she's moving in. The more she, what does scripture say about things? And that's our conscience issues. Study God's word. What does God say? You can still say, well, then I just prefer, you know, maybe not to smoke cigars. Well, that's Keep it to yourself and, and that's just a preference. Don't make it a conscience or a sin issue. 
And when we come to the time of actually working through a sin, and I, I didn't go through you know, benefits of all this. They're all listed there, all kinds of benefits of working um, of conflicts, what can happen with differences, how to avoid them. There's sinful ways. There's God-honoring ways. So I just put a bunch of um, things there you can read through and, and just kind of helping people are you avoiding conflict in sinful ways? Here are ways to actually avoid conflict in a biblical way. So you're not fighting as much. But when there is sin, when it's a sin issue, then Matthew 7, she lists where she has sinned against her husband. He lists where he has sinned against his wife. They can add to each other's lists. And then you confess it to God. You ask for his forgiveness, then you confess to the other person and ask their forgiveness. And then you can prioritize, you know, the top ten, what issues to start working on, because you can't change in all of them at one time, so just prioritize. That's just a suggestion. And then start working on, work on number one, she's working on her number one, and then you just move on. And before long, you hit the top ten, you probably hit all of the list. Because they're all just offshoots of them. So all of the different things there, the differences bear up with one another. Don't ever let that be a a conflict. Just be thankful. Uh, The more thankful you are, the less critical you'll be. And just a humble attitude with the, the truths of Christ. So differences bear up with one another. Preferences prefer the other. Sin issues... And I wouldn't say go to the person, first pray, ask questions to make sure there was a clear sin, and then talk to the individual about the the sin that they've committed against you or you've committed against them. Then conscience issues, uh, that's where we need to study, recalibrate, educate our consciences with the word. Uh, Nacelli and Crowley uh, said conscience is not a, like a light bulb. Uh, it's a gift of God, right? Our conscience is a gift of God in our, our heart. Uh, it's like an internal law court. But it's a skylight. It's not a light bulb. I, I like that analogy. It's, it's not light in and of itself. A conscience is more like a skylight. Keep it clean. And it lets light in of what's right and wrong from the Scripture. It doesn't produce it. The light is really from the word of God. And then wisdom issues, let's grow. Let's learn, let's ask questions, let's interview people, let's read on the subjects and grow in our wisdom. Those would be the key areas with the mind of Christ. You will avoid so much conflict. And when there is a conflict, you'll be able to resolve it for the glory of God.